3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people don't make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you, so call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what? I've been thinking all weekend. This is a market that deserves to be hated. It is virtually nothing going for it except misery and an occasional desire to give misery company. Sadly, the indices are a a complete and total reflection of everything that's really happening in the world today. And that's why even though we're oversold here, even though we can put on meager rallies that look terrific at the time, we just can't seem to escape the jaws of the bear. Sell, 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 sell. That includes daily like today. Sell, sell, sell. The Dow advanced 27 points. It has to be dipped 0.39%. But the NASDAQ tumbled 1.2%, including a lot of your favorites like an Airbnb, a Dash, a Block. I mean, these things are just getting tumbled. Now, there's a very simple reason why the bear keeps mauling us it's because we have no right to be going higher. The forces aligned against the stock market are incredibly powerful, and each day a new one comes up to smack you right across the face with negativity. Last night before I finished work for tonight's show, I checked the overnight markets. I like to do that. They look strong. I was kind of surprised. Then again, hey, the market finished well Friday, so maybe there was something to build on. Of course, I was fooling myself. I can tell you right now, this kind of wrong-headed thinking has characterized the whole move down. Something to build on. What a joke. Y- you can't build on quicksand. Sure enough, I wake up at 4 a.m. and the futures are down. Why? Well, China's posted some ter- ter- terrible consumer numbers. But did anyone expect anything different? Vast swaths of the Chinese economy are in lockdown. How the heck is business supposed to be good? You think they're making a lot of stuff, selling a lot of stuff? People in Shanghai can't even leave the house. From the West, it looks like the only thing they do is test each other for COVID, not a GDP expander. What is incredible is that our stocks still sell off on this stuff again and again. And that's because there's hope, and then the hope is dashed. But I understand it. Do you want to be the person who's not in when President Xi finally says, OK, we're inoculating everyone with the mRNA vaccines we stole from whoever, the market would be up so huge that day that you'd be kicking yourself if you weren't in stocks. Yet it's so obvious that she has no intention of relenting. So what's the point of hope? Then this morning, after working out, I read some article in the British paper, I don't know, which says that Putin has blood cancer, at least according to some unreliable nameless oligarch. For a moment, I think to myself, geez, that'd be something. Who, who would possibly prosecute this war if Putin dies? It's so pointless that you'd have to think the Russian generals would back off if they didn't have Putin's gun to their head. So, of course, you're hopeful. But then one more gigantic American company, McDonald's, pulls out of Russia completely, and you know there's nothing going right there. Unless Ukraine or some disaffected oligarch manages to assassinate Putin, there's no end game here. If Putin wants to turn this into Russia's Vietnam, he can keep throwing men into the meat grinder for ages. Why not? We did as long as this lunatic is alive and in charge, we're not going to get any good news from the stock market. We might get more good news from Ukraine. But it's not like our market is rallying on reports of Russian retreats. It hasn't yet. You have to expect a massive army call-up soon, which would have the advantage of at least informing the Russian people how horribly the war is going. But that's not going to topple the Russian government. You've got to understand, dictators can't afford to lose wars that they themselves started. It makes them look weak, and a weak dictator doesn't live very long. That's why Putin has every incentive to keep this war going forever, even if that's catastrophic for the country he's running. I don't even know if he cares. And then there's us. I come in this morning, Dave Kostin, he's an incredibly good analyst from Goldman and just a, good, just a good guy, has come up with a list of stocks that are extremely cheap based on absolute basis and relative treasuries. But it's also in the context of cutting the price target for the S P 500. Oh, huge and correct bear, Mike Wilson, the chief investment officer of Morgan Stanley, has decided that the halcyon interregnum is over and the bear's ready to roll again. If, like me, you were foolish enough to believe he might just declare victory and go positive, well, you're kicking yourself right now. I, read, I said, oh, Mike Wilson, maybe he's, maybe he's going to declare victory. No, he's sticking with it. Oh, and then, here's some real cynicism. If it matters, JetBlue launches a hostile takeover for competitor spirit. Competitor, like the... They're like next to each other in every single airport, so they do go at it, uh, hammer and tongs. But now it's supposed to be together. Yeah, sure. I'm almost falling off my air on chair laughing. Do these lawyers and investment bankers even for one minute believe, one minute, that the Justice Department, this Justice Department, will let a deal as blatantly anti-competitive as this one go through? Doesn't JetBlue know that the nation elected a fellow by the name of Joe Biden, in part to stop corporate consolidation and encourage competition? How cynical are these advisors? One of the reasons why we've had such terrible supply chain problems that's not talked about at all, except for right now, is that we've let so many companies merge, there just isn't enough competition to build new plants and try to take market share. It's not worth it. That game ended years ago, uh, when previous Justice Departments couldn't anticipate that there might be a day when we wanted companies to compete against each other in a way that benefited consumers instead of hurting them. Of course, the people advising jet blue on this takeover over bit of some sort of intellectual twist they hope will budge the Justice Department. I said, give me a break. I studied closely with Phil He who's the great, late great antitrust professor at Harvard Law. And I have to laugh at these people for thinking this deal will pass muster. They don't know as much as I do. It's embarrassing. I'm giving these guys D's and sharing with you how ill-advised their thinking is. Then we watch a clip from former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein about how a recession should, could occur, and we should be prepared for it. But what do we do as consumers to pre- prepare for it? Line up a second job in advance Sell all our stocks. I don't know. Prepare for it. And fall. I'll prepare. Okay, I'll prepare. Finally, if all that negativity wasn't enough, of course, Bitcoin continues its now legendary collapse as people frantically try to figure out why they even bought it in the first place, other than the fact it was going up. Now, here's what's amazing. Of course, the market actually goes down, thanks to all those negatives. But then, like, midday, because of all the hope out there, some of the averages start going higher, and then that hope gets the hope machine going again. We start wondering if Russia might be pulling out, or she's coming to a senses in lockdown, or, or all the big retail earnings this week, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, Target, are going to be great, and we didn't think about that. Or maybe even the commodity prices might finally come down, which they're not. Yep, this market has two things going for it. One, everyone knows that almost every piece of news is awful. And two, every dip is used to produce it used to produce spectacular results when we bought the dips, right? So now we think, why should it be any different? Are there bargains, as Dave Coston suggests? Absolutely. Tons of them. Too many of them. Are there other stocks and cryptocurrencies that are still way too high without any sense of where they can go other than lower? Absolutely. Oh, I and mean, by the way, can I mention that Twitter's become a fiasco of epic precautions as Elon Musk tortures the company's board and makes a mockery of the entire process while costing people billions and having a time of his life? The point of this litany is simple. A rally based solely on the fact that everything's going wrong is a rally that cannot and will not stand. It has no staying power unless something actually goes right. And the bottom line, so far nothing's going right. So stop pretending otherwise and just get used to the darn torture because that's exactly what this market has in mind for you. Let's go to David in Texas, please. David. Hey, Jim. Booyah from Texas. Uh, Booyah. Thanks for calling. What's going on? Hey, Jim. My stock is GNRC. GENRAC
4: recently reported a top and bottom line beat. They also increased 2022 guidance. What are your thoughts on GNRC? You know,
3: I've been wrong on this. I liked it. I had it in the bullpen for my charitable trust. I took it out because I felt that people thought it was just too connected to housing. But our grid is so darn awful in this country. Ultimately, I think that you're going to make money if you buy GENRAC. John in New York. John. Hey, how are you, Jim? John, what's Uh, going on? Back. Back in the days, we worked with Larry Cuddle on your Cuddle and Kramer TV show. Yeah, I, had a t- I still got a T-shirt from it. They gave me a T-shirt. Nice. Holds up well. It's blue with yellow. Go ahead. Hey, listen. So I'm working on a comedy short film, and I wanted to talk about
1: the stock service now. Ticker N O W.
3: All right. Now, service so- is a really t- a real tough one, John, because I can tell you they had the best quarter of any of the large cap tech companies I deal with. The best. I will tell you that Bill McDermott continues to win gigantic contracts, but I will tell you as part of the bear market that we're in, the stock gets no credit. One day it will be, which is why I would never tell you to sell service now. But understand, its stock is not a reflection of the business, which is quite good and I think will remain so. How about we go to Richard in Maryland? Richard.
5: Hey, Jim, it's a pleasure. Long, long time, first time, and thank you for taking our call. Of
3: course. Thank you for calling, man. What's up?
5: Yeah, Jim, during the pandemic, my wife, a very smart therapist who generally has few opinions about stocks, said to me, listen, I'm seeing clients on Zoom. You should buy it. I didn't listen. But now Zoom has come way down, and I'm thinking it with pilot shortages, jet fuel and ticket prices going sky high, business travel may level off quickly, and – Hybrid work arrangements are the new, new normal. Despite competition, Zoom may be a beneficiary. The company is profitable, its P.E. is not inflated, and it has a sizable cash holding. Is Zoom a long-term buy here?
3: Our, our viewers are so smart. and Richard, everything you said is true. Uh, the P is a little too, too high, but it's, uh, you, know, you can say it's 23. Here's the problem. Uh, Microsoft Teams, Microsoft's gotten very, very aggressive. Asaida Nadella is a very aggressive guy. And as much as I admire the work of Eric Yuan, believe it or not, the stock's not down enough to be able to buy with great confidence. I wish I could say otherwise, because I think Eric is a tremendous business person. And uh, my stepson worked for Zoom, and it was just a fantastic outfit. But the stock, I still think, is just too high priced. All right, guys, I, all I'm telling you is that it's torturous, all right? You and I know it, so like, let's just accept it, right? Because that's exactly what the market has in mind for you. Now on man on tonight, we're going to try some interesting things. New course pivoting. It's announced it's acquiring CHI over overhead doors from KKR, $3 billion deal. I'm learning more about the SteelMaker's latest edition with the CEO. Then uh, we're doing a new list of accidental high yielders because the stock market has come down. And then you asked during the lightning round about a company called Massimo. So we're checking in with the company's top brass. They, too, are pivoting to a new style. So stay with Kramer. What do you do with the world's best steelmaker when the Fed's slamming the brakes on the economy, potentially sending us into recession in order to be able to combat inflation? I'm talking about Nucor, a stock we've had some big gains in for the travel trust. But from February through early April, we rang the register because the cyclicals tend to get hit when the Fed tightens aggressively. Sure enough, the stock's been pounded over the last month and we're looking at it again. Nucor has come down so far that it's trading at less than five times this year's earnings estimates. But that's because Wall Street's worried these earnings will come down big time in 2023, once the Fed kills inflation, including high steel prices. Now, earlier today, Nucor announced a $3 billion deal to acquire a company called CHI Overhead Doors, which makes commercial and residential garage doors for the North American market. It seemed puzzling to people. Wall Street isn't loving it. The stock dropped more than 3%. But Wall Street has a tendency to misread Nucor constantly. So has the stock come down enough to be intriguing again, despite a challenging environment? Let's take a closer look with Leon Topali, and he's the president and CEO of Nucor, to learn more about this acquisition and what comes next. Mr. Topali, and welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Thank you for having me today, Jim. Excited uh, about our announcement and the big day today for Nucor.
3: All right. So, Leon, why don't you give us the deal rationale? Because some people would say, wait a second, I own a steel company. I didn't want to own a garage door company.
6: Well, you got both. And so it's just the natural continuation of our strategy we laid out about two and a half years ago, Jim, as you know, when we've talked in the past, our mission is eight words. It's to grow the core, core steelmaking capabilities, expand beyond and live our culture. And so when we think about the expand beyond piece, the things that have fit into that very nicely is the acquisition of Cornerstone's insulated metal panel building business, the acquisitions of Hannibal racking and elite racking. This Company, CHI, is an incredibly well run company. And if you look at the publicly traded companies in this space, um, it is an incredible opportunity where they're earning near 30% year over year returns. They're growing at a compound annual growth rate of 10%, again, over years and years. So their through cycle performance combined with New Course opportunity to leverage the commercial space creates a home run in our eyes, and we couldn't be more excited to welcome the CHI family into the Newcore family.
3: All right. Now, how about the price? I mean, some of these analysts on the call were saying that uh, roughly uh, 13 times trailing, 12-month EBITDA, that that was a little too much versus if you just bought your own stock back and that the company did trade at a much lower level seven years ago.
6: You know, Jim, it's interesting. And again, Newcore's investment strategy, our capital allocation framework, isn't for the short term of the quarter, this is going to generate huge opportunities for Nucor and its shareholders in the long run. We don't invest businesses for one or two years and flip them. We, we bring companies on, great companies, that have a strategic rationale and fit. And they are one of the most efficient manufacturers in their space, combined with the leverage and breadth of Nucor and the construction solutions um, package that Nucor can bring to bear in the warehousing, digital, um, in, in the growing economy in those spaces, is incredible. If you think about Nucor's building systems group, for example, that we've had for a very long time, that group produces about 10,000 buildings annually. Mm. Every one of those buildings uses four, five, eight, 40 doors in a single building. And that's just one small piece of this overall economy and, and business segment that we can't wait to get uh, get started into.
3: So would you be displacing others who are uh, currently in the warehouse steel business? Because everyone knows one of the we have Prologis one all the time and they're fantastic. Everyone knows that this is going to be the, a, a huge business and has been because of e-commerce. If you get in on the garage door side, is it possible that you'll get the rest of the steel?
6: You know, it's certainly something we're looking into hard, Jim. And, again, we have an amazing leader and the CEO of CHI, and he and his executive team will remain with the business as we transition to core. And so that is a synergy that we look uh, very much forward to discussing further and capitalizing on as we move forward.
3: Now, a lot of the analysts seem to want, frankly, as a shareholder, as a of trust, and still want the, the massive buyback you have. And I didn't think that there was anything that told me that that necessarily is going to be a strategy you're going to throw away just because you're buying these guys. I mean, you have a cheap stock, and when it's, the time is right, you'll keep buying stock.
6: Absolutely, Jim. If you think about what we bought back in Q1, and we already announced in uh, in that earnings announcement that we expect and believe Q2 is going to be a record year, the cash Nucor is generating is incredible. And so that strategy, that philosophy is going to be unchanged. We are going to maintain the strongest credit rating in the industry. We're going to maintain a very uh, disciplined approach to capital, and we are going to return at least 40% of our net earnings back to our shareholders. And again, over the last 10 years, if you think about what we've done, we're over 50%. So we will continue to reward our investors uh, in the long run.
3: Right, so then Tell me how the decision-making process worked. Did did you go to bankers and say, look, we want to get into warehouse? Did did people show you ideas? Did you say, you know what, we have got to stop just being steel. We've got these other other everything we bought that's a that people think is away from our core competence really isn't. I mean, how does it work in your mind and your board's mind?
6: You know, what we did, Jim, about two and a half years ago when I took over as CEO, again, developing that strategy is when you're the industry leader and you think about our opportunities as one of the safest, cleanest, most profitable steel and steel products company in the world. Well, how do you grow? How do you continue to generate growth, great revenues and even better bottom line performance? We've got to continue to look for those opportunities that move us one standard deviation, if you will, outside of the traditional steel making lane and where the margins are the highest. This business operates outside of the traditional norms of cyclicality of the steel segment. Its projected growth is incredible over the next three to five years. And so that multiple is uh, again against a company that is performing unlike any of its peers in the sector. And some of those are trading at 14, 15, even 16 times EBITDA, Jim.
3: All right, so Lynn, uh, I think if you're buying this, I mean, there's a residential, there's an industrial, and, of course, what new course core competent, well, new steel, that you've got to be still pretty bullish about uh, uh, about at least the continent, even though a lot of people are very negative, or otherwise you would just sit on the cash.
6: Yeah, absolutely, Jim. We, uh, we are confident. And, again, we, uh, we look at our backlogs. We watch the market very close. We have great customer relationships. And we understand the drivers that move the needle in, in our steel making. And as you and I have talked many times on this program, the, the steel demand in this nation remains incredibly strong. And so, as we look forward, we think about the resurgence of what's going to happen on automotive as that supply side on the chip shortage levels itself out. New Corps' growth in that space, uh, in the renewable space, the warehousing, the digital, the e commerce, all of that digital economy will be built. On steel, and again, who better to do it within the cleanest, safest, and the most productive steelmaker on the planet? Well,
3: uh, amen to that. It's absolutely that's absolutely the case. Leon Tepalete is the president and CEO of Nucor NUE, one of my longtime favorites for forty years. Thank you, Leon, for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. We have back Get to the break.
1: Coming up, whoops, I yielded again. In a tough market, which stocks have ended up with an attractive dividend. Kramer combs through the cohort next.
2: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: You don't need me to tell you that the stock market's gotten rough. The average has been obliterated the last six weeks, and future, frankly, as you heard from the top of the show, isn't perfect. But even during difficult times, there are stocks that work. During the dot-com ca- crash, for instance, you did great if you circled the wagons around large cap recession-proof stocks. At the depths of the financial crisis, you got an amazing opportunity to buy the accidental high-yielders, A-H-Ys we call them, real companies with stable dividends that had seen their stocks come down so far that their dividends supported ridiculously high yields versus the old days. This moment's becoming similar. It's worth sticking with the stock market as long as you stick with the right groups and avoid the wrong ones, the wrong ones being unprofitable tech companies or any other richly valued momentum stocks that have long since lost their momentum that are usually uh, valued at price time sales, which we don't like here on Mad Money. As I see it, this is not a moment of true systemic risk like 2008. I'm worried about the crypto collapse, and I know it could have wider implications for the stock market than many believe, if only because so much wealth has been destroyed, at least on paper. But I don't think it compares to the financial crisis when most of our major banks would have gone under without a massive federal bailout. That is really not the case when it comes to crypto. So when I see the averages down huge from their highs, I do want to go back to my favorite slowdown play. I like to go back and pick these accidental high yielders. Now, they're the ones that have huge dividend yields simply because their stocks have been excessively punished. Now, back in early March, I tried this. It was right after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we created a list of 10 accidental high-yielders. While the group hasn't done great because the tape's been ugly, it has outperformed the S&P 500, although looking back, it definitely needs a few tweaks. On March 2nd, I highlighted Simon Property Group, Dow Chemical, International Paper, Walgreens Boots, Contour Brands, Newell Brands, American Eagle, Pfizer, Innovative Industrial Properties, and Morgan Stanley. Now, on average, this, gr- this group of accidental high yielders is down 6.7%. Not, not including dividends. Not good. But they're beating the S P 500 down 8%, and then ASAC's down 15%. So remember, for a money manager, it's a relative game. For you, it's probably absolute, meaning that this would have been a, a, a bad. It would have been bad. But for money manager, it actually wouldn't have been. Now, look, of the 10 stocks, only Dow, International Paper, and Pfizer have rallied. But the overall performance is really being dragged down by some huge duds like American Eagle and Innovative Industrial Properties. That's a cannabis-focused industrial read that was the target of a big short-seller hit piece last month. Actually, I I have to tell you, I thought that report was pretty convincing. They're worried about IIPR's largest tenant, and now so am I. Even if IIPR had no troubles, the cannabis cohort has become so hated that I just can't see it working in the current uh, environment. Oh, and by the way, when I called them, they did not call me back. Not worth trying to be a hero and not worth ever, ever not calling me back. The other big losers are all retail related. Simon Property, the number one mall real estate investment trust, Contour Brands, the Denim Focus Apparel Company and American Eagle, which has indeed become the bane of my charitable trust existence. Of these, Simon's the only one I still feel confident about. They had a good quarter as they reported. You know, really, this is David Simon, whom I'm always welcoming on the show because he's done such a good job. So we came in too early and we were too confident about retail. I'm not making that mistake again. At the same time, even a high dividend isn't enough to support a stock in a bad sector, like we saw with innovative industrial properties. That's why we need to high-grade or accidental high-yield or portfolio with an admittance that we didn't get all of them right to begin with. But the one upside of a market that's come down huge from its highs is that you can find a lot more bargains because many stocks actually do get cheaper as they go lower, except for a lot of those ones in the NASDAQ. That said, you got to be disciplined in your approach. Last month, we pulled uh, from the S&P 500, the S&P mid-cap 400, and the S&P small-cap 600. This time, I don't want to take any chances. We are sticking with the largest of the large caps, the S&P 500 only. We're not even going to look at anything with a yield below 3.5% because the whole point is to find high-yielders. You know, that leaves us still, though, with 64 stocks. But remember, the emphasis is on accidentally high-yielding dividend stocks that have huge yields because their share prices have been hammered. So we're searching for names that are down 25% or more from their highs. That leaves us with 21 stocks, only two of which were on the the last accidental high yield list. And sure enough, it's Simon Properties and then a name owned by my travel trust, Morgan Stanley. Simon's got a nearly 6% yield and is basically the last man standing in the mall space at the time when people are eager to shop in person. Morgan Stanley is my favorite investment bank because it's been pivoting to the more stable wealth management business. And that's principally the reason why we selected it for the trust. Tonight, I want to highlight five more accidental high yielders. And we've had some of these on the show, and they're terrific. Huntington Bank shares, remember? I thought they were great. Truist, they haven't been on. Best Buy, I love them. They're so good. I shop there all the time. Whirlpool, which we had on, and digital, really. Now, Huntington and Truist are both regional banks. This is a group that instantly makes more money every time the Fed tightens because they can pay you roughly the same interest on your deposits and then invest that money risk-free in short-term treasuries, and make a big profit. The big national banks have too much capital markets exposure right now, but that's not a problem for the major regionals. Huntington is a Columbus, Ohio-based regional bank that's expanding across the Midwest, and it sports a very robust 4.8% yield. They've got solid deposit growth, solid loan growth, and most importantly, the Midwest is a winner as American companies bring back domestic manufacturing capacity in a world of strained global supply chains. Remember, they also have cheap power. Thank you, American Electric Power. We're uh, polishing the rust off the rust belt. Chewas Financial is the alpha created by the merger of SunTrust with BB&T back in 2019. It's a major player in the Southeast and the Mid-Atlantic growth areas. While it's taken a few years to adjust to the big merger, they're now putting up excellent numbers. They got a 4.16% yield, very attractive. Now, next up is a little bit controversial because we said we were a little gun shy about retail, but it's Best Buy. This might be controversial as the stock has plunged from 142 last of ever to 85 today. Wow where it has a 4.15% yield. I, retail's tough, but at these levels, I think Best Buy has been what we call de-risked. While the no- near-term numbers are less than ideal, management's got some very bullish long-term forecasts. And I like that they're moving like into uh, service space, like an all-purpose home office IT consultant. I've looked at that service. Seems pretty good. And it sells for eight times earnings. Now, that is Dave Koster put out a great piece from Goldman Sachs today, talking about how this, piece, this stock is the, maybe the cheapest it's ever been especially versus interest rates. Now, here's one that's really bugging me, and I mentioned this morning when it was down six, Whirlpool. These guys are already struggling as the housing market peaks. We know that. Their most recent quarter looked very ugly, but we spoke to management that night, if you recall, and I like their story. Whirlpool now has a nearly 4% yield. It was at 4.1 at one point today, along with a massive buyback that would let them repurchase a third of their shares. Doesn't hurt that Whirlpool's selling its slagger European business. will be multiple buyers. It's something that could fund even larger dividends and buybacks. I like the situations where the company's buying right alongside you. Finally, there's one that is so boring that I have to ask you to please Stop worrying about whether something's exciting or not. It's called Digital Realty. It's a real estate investment trust that owns data centers. Historically, this stock's been on the expensive side, and you rarely get a chance to buy it into the weakness. But Digital Realty's now fallen from 178 late last year to 128 today. It's got a 3.8% yield. I don't know if that yield's going to go higher. I love the data center business. It's not going anywhere. Bottom line, there's no need to be a hero in a challenging market. Instead, you want to take shelter behind stocks with A, H. Why? Accidental high yielders. And that means Huntington Bank shares, which we've had one, and I think is terrific. Truist, i described that to you. Best Buy, we've had them on. I think it's de-risk. Whirlpool, I thought they were terrific when they were on. And finally, digital realty. Let's go to Scott in Illinois, please. Scott. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, man, how you been? Um, I'm doing really good. I hope you are, too. It's I, had a, I had such a great weekend. I'm rolling. What's going on?
5: Weather's beautiful in Chicago. It's surreal to talk to you, Jim. Just wanted to tell you how much my seven children and everybody down at Mr. Blotto love the Mad Money program and love Jeff Kramer. We got an eye, eye on a stock, Jim. It's down about $60 from its high. It reported great earnings. It was rewarded, and then everything was taken away. Jim, do you see
3: a buy level in the future for Visa? All right. Look, Al Kelly, who runs Visa, was on our show. It was a great privilege. This is an amazing company. okay? and it is not expensive anymore. It's down a great deal. I am urging you, Scott, to stay the course. You and your seven children, my executive producer's husband, is from Chicago. So we have lots of good things to say about Chicago. And I think you'll be just fine in Visa. Just have a little patience. It's a great American company. All right, everyone, take shelter behind stocks that have accidental high yields. I, the first cut was not as good as these, all right? I'm talking about Huntington Bank shares, Truist Financial, Best Buy, Whirlpool, and Digital Realty. We got a lot of made money ahead, including my exclusive with a company that's kind of pivoting called Massimo. After falling from its 2021 highs, are investors getting a buying opportunity in the medical technology company. that has some very interesting blood oximeter work. Let me check with the CEO. Then I've always been in favor of the democratization of the market, but there's a new alarming factor that has me questioning my own stance. I'll reveal it. An calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What do we do with medical technology companies that made fortunes when COVID was at its worst? But you know, the COVID runs its course. Their stocks have plummeted. Take Massimo Corporation, which is best known for its blood oxygen pulse rate monitoring devices. I don't know about you. I use mine every morning during the height of COVID. Here's a stock that's nearly doubled from the 150s before the pandemic to 305 last November. But since then, it's given back all of its gains and then some, plummeting to $135 today. Now, some of this is simply because every COVID winter has been hit. We know that. Some of it's because Massimo issued a lukewarm full-year outlook in January, followed by a negative pre-announcement in late March. They're dealing with component shortages like everybody else and struggling to fill their international orders. They also announced the acquisition of a consumer electronics company called Sound United in February, a deal that, candidly, I don't really understand. Now, late this month, I got a call from Massimo during the lightning round, so I issued an open invitation to the company to come on the show. Since then, the company's reported a better than expected quarter. With more bullish guidance, stock's begun to rebound from its lows. So has it already bottomed? Let's check in with Joe Ciani. He is the founder, chairman, CEO of Massimo Corporation. Mr. Ciani, welcome back to Mad Money. It's
5: great to be with you, Jim.
3: All right. So, Joe, we had some problems with components. A lot of other companies did, too, Uh, but it was never demand. Right. The demand was always good. So now kind of right back into where things were before the shortage, including with the labor issue. Correct.
5: Correct. Correct. Demand uh, has never been stronger uh, despite COVID ending, which I think is a great thing, not just for the world, uh, but for Massimo as well. Uh, the demand is quite strong. Had we been able to meet the demand, we would have exceeded the numbers uh, that were expected. But unfortunately, supply chain finally caught up with us. We think we've caught up with it. But you know, you never know. Once bitten, twice as shy. <laughs> so now, we'll be we'll be watching it.
3: Now I know you're the highest quality, and every morning I would measure during that period, always hoping for north of ninety three, and always knew and had my wife wear it too because we knew what was the right one. Now you've got a bunch of new things. Um, with in front of me is the Massimo safety net alert. Could you tell us how that works?
5: Yes. Uh, well, I was on your show I think a few years ago where we said we're going to create this thing to help with the opioid epidemic, because many people were dying from opioid overdose at home. Uh, 20,000 a year from prescription opioids, another 80,000 from illicit. Well, we still haven't got it cleared yet for sale in the US, but during COVID, we pivoted and made that product into something hospitals could use to transfer the COVID patients that weren't in need of critical care home and bring him in when that oxygen saturation dropped below 93. And it became a lifesaver. Hundreds of hospitals used it. People took it home, wore it on their finger. The data was transmitted via their phone to the cloud. And a central monitor at the hospital was able to watch everything and everybody and bring them in as needed.
3: Now, you made an acquisition that, I, as I mentioned, I was curious about because I think the quality of the stuff, that's not an issue. It's the best there is. It's the Sound United acquisition, 100 years of audio mastery, and how that fits in with the company as I knew it before the acquisition.
5: Well, thanks for asking, uh, I've always sought out problems that I thought we could solve. The problem I see ahead of us or the opportunity I see is helping people stay healthy at home and only require medical care, hospital care, professional care when it's absolutely needed. We see the Sound United acquisition as a fantastic opportunity to help us accomplish that goal, not only because of their 20,000-point distribution channel that they built over decades, that now we can plop this product called the W1, which we just announced under limited market release, the first continuous accurate pulse oximetry biosensing watch. But we can take all of their audio technology, combine it with our signal processing prowess, and hopefully create incredible new products like earbuds that not only help you with biosensing, but can enhance your hearing.
3: All right, now let's talk about that. Uh, it was something I know a bit about i suffer from tinnitus syrup and i've developed a medicine with dr larry newman that we think is going to uh not cure it, but really keep it at bay but i have to wear zeeman's uh when it's really bad i wear uh, a zeeman's mask and it's 1700 dollars and it's by far the most expensive least effective device i've ever bought i believe with Morant's technology which I remember from when I was growing up is the absolute best sound that it's impossible for Massimo not to develop something superior to Siemens, which by the way owns every single hospital from what I can tell, because that's all you ever get. If you need a master or a hearing aid, can you develop a product linked to my iPhone that will make it so I can hear other people and still lead my life? Because it's very hard for me to do right now.
5: Well, I won't promise a cure for tendonitis, but what I can tell you, we see incredible opportunities to democratize improve hearing in a way that doesn't stick out and make people feel uncomfortable. Look, we started Massimo with the idea of taking adaptive filters, very complicated signal processing to physiological measurement. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to take that same technology, same core competency to hopefully make these devices like the one you want me to make and make it affordable, make it work. Look, every uh, product that we've made has made a huge difference. Look at our pulse oximetry technology. All other studies for whether it was for blindness of babies in the NICU or recently monitoring people with COVID, nothing ever showed that the technology made a difference. Yet with our technology, Massimo set pulse oximetry, every outcome study has been positive, including monitoring COVID patients.
3: Well, look, I'm counting on you. That's what we want to do. I'm counting on you. (laughs) I know you can do it because your stuff works because I've used it during the pandemic. I'm hoping you extend this and get this right because everybody else can't seem to do it. Joe Chiani, Massimo founder, chairman, and CEO, MASI, thank you so much for being on the show. Always great to see you,
5: sir. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Jim.
3: They make good stuff. You may have used it. I used it during the pandemic. I am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt to see if they can't develop these incredibly important devices, whether it be opioid, whether it be for hearing. These are really integral to people's lives. Mad Money's back into the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got?
1: Kramer is bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
3: Before we get started, a special programming note. I want to remind you to tune in to the news with Shepard Smith tonight. Shep is live from Buffalo with the latest details on that tragic mass shooting. And now let's get to our writing round. That's where I take some calls rapid fire. One Bye 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 bye. Just be clear don't know no, the call, stop questions. I might play this up. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round climbers, my well. start with Frank in New York. Frank. Yes, Frank Pelham, Jim. I just want to thank you for your integrity and your honesty. Uh, and thank you, Frank. Really Man, like thank you very you. much. I, I really appreciate that. How can I help you? Jim, I've had a position
5: in Marvell for probably over two years. Okay. And I I just think, and I didn't sell it at 90. I can kick myself. But I'm certainly not going to sell it here. I just think they're on the verge of an explosive future. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. Right, I,
3: I totally agree with you. I mean, look, they are the best when it comes to 5G, the best high-performance computing. But remember, those things have fallen out of favor right now. So the stock is in the ability to fall. We on a big position actually for, for channel stocks. Now, we did this. We did sell some. Uh, But I'd like to buy more. That's the way to go. Dustin in Kansas. Dustin. Big booyah to you, Jim. Booyah back.
6: Hey, I'm calling about a company that's been on your show a couple of times in the last year, and you've recommended it in the past. It's a high-growth stock, and I know it's been brutal. I'm calling because I'm a 33-year-old investor looking with a 5- to 10-year horizon. Jim, I'm looking for your opinion if I should buy more shares at this level, hold or sell. The ticker is STEM. F-P- well, I mean, look, yeah, but- this
3: was about our grid being second rate and not being able to figure out how to do storage of electronics. But that was then. This is now that it got very, very high. Uh, we went, We moved away from companies that don't make money. But because you have a five-year time horizon, you can stick with it. We're not recommending stocks that don't lose money now, though. Let's go to PD in California, please. Jimmy Child Yes. DG from Prime Desert here looking for some pearls of wisdom. With its spoilout quarter in the
1: holster lab this past week, is ABCL ready to roll?
3: You know, they actually, they're okay. I mean, I tend to be a little suspicious. It's down 45% Vancouver company. Um, but they, they do make money, and I will give them that. Although it's not exciting when you've got so many great companies like Pfizer that make a lot of money and are inexpensive. Let's go to David in California, please. David. Oh hi Jim, thanks for everything you do. Of course, got a question for you on Starwood Property Trust. Uh huh. It's S P W D. Of course. a really steady dividend for years and years. I just wonder, if buy, sell, or holds. No, I would own that. That's Barry Stern. Like what he does best is work at that company. I'm not sure about the various SPACs. They don't really intrigue me anymore. But this is a very profitable company with a very good yield and a very good manager. Let's go to John in Florida, please, John.
6: Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, of course, John. What's going on? Hey, I've um, got a question about a stock that I'm currently down 35%. Do I buy, sell, or hold to free holding
3: Remember, man, Money, We don't care where stocks come from. We care where it's going to. However, that stock is such a low multiple, um, it obviously means that people are thinking it's going to have a shortfall. I think it's okay. Uh, but Apparel is very out of favor with this market. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round
1: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, can the markets offer a little too much freedom to young investors? A cautionary tale. What you need to know before you ride the world's greatest wealth machine.
3: Next. I've always been a big believer in the democratization of the stock market. If something makes it easier for the little guy to feel comfortable owning stocks, well, my gut assumption is it's a good thing. But now for the second time in my life, I'm actually questioning that judgment. Without real education, I'm beginning to worry that promoting stock ownership for anybody and everybody has led us to a bad place because the risks are too great. This morning, J.P. Morgan put out a cogent and devastating piece of a uh, resource for the company Robinhood, which has been the principal democratizer of this generation. The piece, and underrate, which is Wall Street speaking for sell, but the case pretty bluntly. Now, I'm going to do it. It's kind of a, they did it in kind of a, a, a cursive way, but I'm going to say, just quote it. Robinhood customer underperformance could weigh on activity for extended period of time, end quote. Second paragraph, same way it says, Robinhood clients losing money and underperforming. The goal of democratizing access to financial services has not been working well for Robinhood investors for the last three quarters through first quarter 22. Volumes falling as retail participation declines. Ouch. People who know me know I loved Robinhood when I first saw the app years and years ago because it made it easy for people to buy stocks. Same way I love the original electronic brokers in the 90s, low commission seemed great. In retrospect, I guess they made it too easy with the no commission, the easy, the funny emojis. People bought pretty much whatever they wanted, whether it was suitable for them or not. And there weren't any grown-ups around to warn them when to ring the register. Now, you could say, hey, that's the price of knowledge. But we had the same democratic revolution happen once before, back in the late 90s. And it ended so badly that we lost a generation of potential investors. I think the same thing is happening now. Total repetition. Some of it's because the companies that are doing well at the moment are not exactly Gen Z friendly. Oil and gas, agriculture, some drug stocks. But most of it, like in the dot-com collapse, comes down to overconfidence. Back then, people were making so much money on every new IPO that you felt like you were insane if you didn't try to get a piece one. Plus, the runs of some of those stocks, were just, they just went on and on. They were like money trees. Of course, if you weren't greedy back then, you actually could have made a fortune. You, but you had to sell your winners. If you let things ride, you got killed. This time around, we had different phenomena. The meme stock period, which is defined by J.P. Morgan as a moment in time, February 2020 to February 2021, where the Robinhood investors were clubbing the market. Again, not unlike March of 1999 to March of 2000, where the gains seemed endless. The two periods were different in one way, though. The younger people had no contempt for the older people back in 1999, because, well, then they were just thrilled that they were allowed to join the club. In 2020 to 2021, though, the objective was to destroy the club. Looking back on both periods, they never seem to be about discipline making money, which is what I'm about. Now, I'm not backing away from my view that we should democratize the stock market. Nobody should be kept out. But I do think we need more education, kind of like what I do for the CMC Investing Club, because that's the only way these new investors will keep investing over the long haul. I'm not just plugging the club. I, I simply want people to remember what they're feeling right now. Stocks can go down and large pools of money can and are lost overnight by going on margin or buying endless numbers of expiring options or just by buying crummy, expensive stocks. I know the stock market can be a great wealth creator. But if you're not careful, it's also a great wealth destroyer. So please, I'm begging you, be careful. It's getting too easy to lose money for all. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you, i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts
2: now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.